The Fujicast is an independent loading zone production. Kev, I want, I want you to be honest with me. Have you been in Malmesbury all the time during... Well, notwithstanding, of course, having to go out and do a bit of shopping, and I think you've had to do some commercial work or something, but have you been... Have you really... Have you not travelled abroad or anything in this time? No. Not no, been not anywhere? No, I had to go out... I had to go and do some commercial stuff last week, and I think that's the first time I'd left the Shire in... <laughs> Oh, since, I don't know, last June when we managed to go and see my parents. Are you sure now? Hang on, what? There was that thing last Friday where... <laughs> uh, oh, no, I I'll stayed t- at home. I'll tell day. you why. I saw today I got a Google alert on you. I, I, do you remember when you taught me how to do Google alerts on people? So I, I went in and merrily did some Google alerts on people. Um, and so occasionally I get this alert that comes up about my mates. And this one <laughs> came up for you today. Kevin Mullins, daily update. Uh, this is um, alcohol involved in snowmobile crash. While oh, yeah, on, that, that was me. While on Grouse Street, <laughs> one of the group, Kevin Mullins of East Bethel, lost control of his snowmobile on the ice-packed roadway, spun and... Oh, I've got to click on. Spun and... Oh, it says unavailable data. <laughs> <laughs> That's because I've had it deleted off the internet. <laughs> No, it weren't me. But okay. I, I also, yeah, that's really interesting because I still have some of those that kick up. <laughs> I have some of my, my friends and my competitors and things like that, and they, they, they ping across. But the and trouble they're... is there's Kevin Mullins all over the <laughs> world, it seems. The Fuji cast. Yeah. Yeah. It's, not, it's not just in Mar- Bunkin Malmesbury. It's all over the world. When you when you did this thing, you were supposed to say to me how, how I could tell that it would always be you. I didn't realise there'd be so many blooming Mullins. Mm. Best yeah. name in the world, that's why. Obviously, obviously. Anyway, um, welcome to the Fujicast, you and your questions from our electronic mailbag and, of course, also through the Fujicast private Facebook group that you're welcome to become a part of. If you're sending mails in, click at fujicast.co.uk. If you are not a Fujifilm shooter, do not worry. It's a big, open... Um, armed, big-hearted community here, and whatever flavour you shoot, you're very, very welcome. Um, Kev's book of the week this week. What have we got this week, Kev? This week we have got women street photographers. Women street photographers. Yeah. Okay. Superb. And um, and when actually it's it's you with the the guest today as well. Next week I think it's Jane O'Dell who I spoke to, but this week it's going to be Daniel Meadows. Yeah. Tell, tell lovely, me about, tell lovely me, gentleman. Tell me about Daniel Meadows a bit. Oh well, uh, you have to wait to see on the interview. But he's 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 one of the um, I don't know, like legendary documentarists, I reckon, mm-hmm. in my mind anyway, of the kind of seventies and eighties and, and, and all that stuff. Ex ex teacher at the Newport uh, Documentary School, along ah. with uh, David Hearn, Martin David Parr, Hearn, yeah, all those yeah. good guys. Yeah, great, um, beautiful, beautiful work. That that place bred quite a few names, didn't it? It did indeed, yeah. Do you know what? I was saying to him, I used to drive past that every day on on the bus on the way to school. I used to think it was a mosque. <laughs> <laughs> what? Did you? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. Right. yeah. Okay, well, um, Daniel Meadows will be on, on, on the show. And uh, actually, my mistake, uh, he's got a two-parter, hasn't he? It's two parts, and Jane O'Dell is in a couple of weeks' time. Um, I, by the way, last week, um, when, when I was editing the show... It does appear, Kev, that you are sometimes overly confused during the programme. Hmm. I only judge that by um, actually having to take out quite a few confused moments last week, which <laughs> I, I started then just to compile in my spare file here. Now, these aren't made up or repeated. This is you. Um. 
That's my that's my normal voice. That's what I sound like all day long. Oh dear. Anyway, sorry, Kate. <laughs> right, who's going first? You or me? Uh, I'll go first. Go you on. went first last week. Yeah. I'll go first. So uh, this from is from the, the questions for the show thread on the Facebook group, yeah. which is getting very bare, people. Is it? Come on, come on, come on. Uh, we'll start with a, a quick one from Peter Langman. Uh, he says, with a revival in film photography, do you think Fujifilm would ever reintroduce the 35mm to use with the XF lens line? Hmm. <laughs> a 35mm? Uh, film camera, presumably. Oh, right. Means. I thought you meant uh, the lens for a minute. <laughs> no, 35 mil um, yeah. film camera. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, I very. I mean, I'm not the person to answer that question, of course, but I very seriously doubt it. Um, purely, even though, yes, film is, is, you know, does seem to be a lot of people using it again or more these days, I still would imagine it's a tiny, tiny number in terms of, uh, the comparison versus digital photography. Yeah. So I, I would very, very much doubt that they would bring in a new camera to use the XF lens. Of course, they've got old, you can get old Fujifilm film cameras and other brands exist. Um, and I'm not sure whether you can get adapters and various things to go backwards that direction. No. But uh, yeah, I doubt it. I doubt it. Do you not even Don't. think it will be on the, the we shall consider um, pile? Uh, well, it's almost definitely on the we, can, we shall consider pile because we shall consider means no. Does it? Oh, I didn't realise that. That's the Japanese way of saying no. Oh, I just thought, thought it was, um, we'll put it on a long line of things that may come up in the future, pile. No, 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 no. Because uh, all of the things I've ever asked, well, not all of them, but a vast majority of things I've asked for, ah, yes, we shall consider. Um, <laughs> because they don't like saying no. Japanese people, I don't think any of the Japanese team have ever said no to me, ever. Really? It's always, um, what I have learned is we shall consider means no. 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 Okay. All right. Well, I'll bear that in mind now. I just thought it was uh, it was the politely sort of line it up and we'll get round to it in twenty twenty nine sort of pile. But obviously, no, no, obviously not. No. Yeah. Um, one from Mark Sandford. Um, hello, both of you. I just discovered your podcast and I like it. It's uh, it's very interesting. And otherwise, Kevin, I'm like you with the X seventy. I had one since it was available. Ah, there we go. Kindred spirit here, Mark. Uh, I hope they'll do uh, the X80. And in the same vein of the X70, I bought a Ricoh GR3, a very discreet camera and sharp mm. lens. Have you ever used the Ricoh GR3? No, but I, I've had plenty of people come on my yeah. street photography workshops when I've done them in the past, you know, when we could do them before. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people use those Ricohs and they, they are they are nice looking things and they so, produce yeah. nice images. So Not as nice as the Fujis, of course, but they are nice. <laughs> Because, because, well, he used it because his X70 had a problem with the shutter, you see, so there's the excuse. But if mm. there, there is an X80, I'll bite in a heartbeat, he says, with uh, with better video, tilt screen, integrated flash, etc. I'm going to listen to the uh, listen to the older podcast now. It's the first time I've really listened to a podcast. I wish you well, bye, from France. That was it, really. It wasn't a question as such. It was just a, a, a nice sort of um, mention of... And in terms of street, though, since you mention it, though, and we, we don't know when we're going to be out playing again, but do you think when, when we're allowed to that you'll just... You, you will crack straight on with the uh, the street classes again? Yeah, 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 yeah. I can't wait. And, and also, I'm moving into my new studio in two weeks' time and I need, I need, I need to earn money to pay Ooh. for it. <laughs> so, yeah, as soon as we can, we will. I will, definitely. I'm um, desperate, desperate. What, what sort of However, I'm not going to, I'm not, I, I'm at my wit's end with the people who are, uh, you know, going out and, and saying it's work, 
mm. you know, I'm a, I'm a street photographer. That's my job. Uh, if fair enough, if it is your job, and that's fair enough. But if it ain't your job, don't say it's your job, and then go around to London spreading your nasty germs. I think I know who you're talking about. Well, there's lots of people. Well, Loads of them. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Uh, mm. <laughs> we decided to start recording these later in the day so we could be a little less, because we were doing them at, at like 8, 30, 9 o'clock in the morning, and we I were know. both a little bit like, oh, oh, oh. so we decided to do them at um, later in the evening. Yeah. Obviously, people know we don't record it live. And... Uh, <laughs> And I feel like we've started on the wrong foot. Have you got a beer? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, not the plan. Oh, dear. Shall I do a question anyway? Go for it. Um, since that was more, more of a kind of comment about the show. Alan Schleisinger um, sent in a question a few weeks ago for, for Ask Andreas. I, as I listened to your podcast in the last couple of weeks, I realised that I, I uh, misspoke and actually meant the question to be for your engineer guest, who is Carl, of course. Sorry for the confusion. The question was regarding the bluish tint to the image of the in the EVF of the XT4 in certain lighting conditions, uh, but not in the LCD or in the final image from the SD card. My local Fujifilm rep states that it's a known issue and an artifact to the high resolution of the EVF. Could you please put my previous question in the queue for a future interview with Carl? But you did actually send this to me and say it's, it's something that you thought we should talk about. Yeah, I, I did see that question. And I, because I, I was a little bit, I'd never heard of that problem. Never. No, nor had I. I that was a new one on you me. Know, never seen it. Never, never had an issue. I, you know, I don't, I looked, I, I went on the internet, I searched for it, I searched for known issues, you know, blue, tint, EVF, XT4, all that kind of stuff. Can't really see anything. So, I don't know, Carl may, Carl may know, yeah, no. we can ask him directly, but there are, on the later models of the Fujifilm cameras, you can uh, you can change the colour tone and of the EVF itself, um, and the LCD. So, maybe factory reset, test all that kind of stuff, don't know. Um, <laughs> funny enough, I'm looking... I'm looking right now on uh, FujiXForum.com, and I'm looking at a post by a bloke called Dan M. And this is from October the 7th, 2017. Uh, and the post is, Hi, I found my LCD on my X-T2 to be much warmer than the EVF or, or the LCD on my X-T1. Is this right. a malfunction? Should uh-huh. I inform Fujifilm? My black and white images look sepia. And then he's put a comparison. <laughs> and, and the reason why I'm, I'm laughing is because he's got the Q menu of both of his cameras. And the custom settings, custom one is Acros Mullins. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> that's your problem. Mullins yeah, has put something in he's put, he's put something in your machine, so he has. Yeah, so um, don't know. Pass is the answer. I'm really sorry. I, I, I've never really experienced anything. Could possibly be a malfunction. Could be the setting for adjusting the color yeah. of the LCD. Could even be you know, just the way that we all, we all see things slightly differently. You know, it could just right. be that you know what you see on the lcd is not what you're getting in your in your jpeg it's it's my i find it rare that it's identical anyway so yeah. it could just be something like that it who could, knows it could be that you've uh, you've downloaded mullins into your your camera that could be a problem <laughs> yeah There's exactly gonna, there'll, be a well, con- there'll be a conspiracy theory next have you got mullins in your camera he can see out the other side so he can running around with his eyebrows in there <laughs> <laughs> i know yeah mini mullins <laughs> oh dear right your question my question okay this is from um brrr, this is from hold on hold on hold on a minute uh, <laughs> uh, right. uh, 
that's the sound of me frustratingly <laughs> looking through the thread looking for questions uh, i'm gonna go right to the bottom and the last one posted which go was on, actually three days ago so come on people oh, come on uh, ron days. whiteman right. and he's got two two questions and number one and he says, this one is for myself. <laughs> uh, what rock have I been living under to have missed this podcast? I'm an avid Fujifilm addict and op- an obsession that started with the X-T1 in 2014 and have been suffering from Fuji gas ever since. My go-to is the X-T3 and X-T4. Also love the GFX system. I do listen wow. to other Fuji podcasts, <gasps> uh, which is fine, of course. There's lots of good podcasts out there. Um, anyway, he goes on to say, and since finding this one, I've been binge listening to Catching It Up. You guys are fantastic mm. and doing an amazing job and keeping a varied and fun podcast. Love it. Yeah. Okay, so that's my bad because I thought that was a question. Really, I should have just replaced that with <laughs> yada, 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 yada. <laughs> yeah, uh, but thank you very much, Ron. Um, yeah, quite nice. You, and number two, he says, uh, as I mentioned, I do love everything Fuji, except, and then there's a big expletive, the remote app. Oh, uh, yes. I'm, I'm with you on that one. Whoa. What the heck? Oh. He says, cutting edge photographic lenses and cameras. It would be so nice to have an app yeah. that was useful. Anything on the horizon? Any workarounds or hacks? Love the show. Thanks for making it happen. Ron Whiteman from I, Rochester, I, I, Minnesota. I do struggle with the app. I have to be honest um it never seems to do the same thing twice for me Ah. well yeah i mean i have to say i don't use the app much at all Mm. i really don't um the last time i used it was when i was doing the uh the behind the scenes photos for the great well there's the great great run company but it was the bristol 10k yeah and my, I was, I think it was the most stressful job I've ever done. They were like, right, we need you to, to do all the behind the scenes photos at the start. And then we, we're going to give you a bike. They gave me a bike and then we need you to, to get you over to the, you need to get over to the suspension bridge and get some shots of people, you know, looking exhausted and all that kind of stuff. And then get back to the finish for, for when the, the, the first set of runners get there. God. And of course, oh, like 10 K is not long for, for these athletes, 10 K is, you know, some of them are doing it in 25 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I was like peddling for all my white my might and all during that they wanted me to to send them live images for instagram and facebook live and all that kind of stuff so i was using the app and it worked it just worked fine i have to say but i didn't use wi-fi i used bluetooth right and that was that would be an xt3 um might be an xt2 actually i can't remember but yeah i've not had any i i don't use it enough to have any problems however i will say there's been enough many people on the on the uh, on the facebook group saying that they've got problems with it and stuff. So, yeah, you'd think, fix it. Yeah, but oh, I, I, it's it's not the only... I mean, the Canon one, for me, always used to be great, but even that, I, I sometimes it would work, sometimes it wouldn't. It, they do seem to be quite um, finicky apps. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't. I honestly don't know. I, I don't know whether these things are outsourced or whether they're developed in-house or, uh, or what. You know, I don't know whether the... The protocols might change. I, I, you know, I know I've seen many messages where they say it can't be that difficult to, to write an app. <laughs> yeah. And I actually putting my, my coding head on. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it probably is hard. Yeah. And not so much the interface or the, the functionality, but the fact that, uh, you know, these the camera technologies and the, the software and the updates, every time things are updated by Apple, um, if you're unfortunate enough to use Apple, then you know you, you it's all change, isn't it? Um, same on the Android, everything changes. So I would imagine, yes, yeah, it's, it's probably a bit of a thankless task. Everything changes, but you. Who did that song? Yeah. Um, uh, Kyle McC- McClellan. No, Kyle, no, wasn't it the fellow off Neighbours? No. Uh, everything changes. Don't know. No, we'll leave that in there as a, as a little rolling quiz, as it were. <laughs> um, you ready for? Oh, this is a music one. Funnily enough, it's almost like it was planned, Kev. Hmm. Uh, this 
This is from Johan Borhead. He says, Hello, Kev. Hello, Neil. Since you uh, both attended a lot of weddings, I guess you've experienced a lot of great music as well. Uh, what have been your best music experiences at, at a wedding? Have there been any celebrities or any stories that you can share? Cheers and thank you for a great show from Johan. Well, I, I, I have to say there was one I remember. It was, um, yeah, I mean, mostly it's it's wedding bands, isn't it? Yeah, and in it fairness, is. they're, they're, yeah. they're, they're far more talented than you or I are, or that kind of stuff, and they're usually very good. Oh, Kev, don't do uh, yourself down here. I'm sure you've got a lovely voice. <laughs> however, um, I do remember I did this one wedding in Richmond. It was in a marquee, yeah. and uh, it was absolute biblical rain the day before and the groom and the best man slept in the marquee overnight because they knew that if the river floods because it was right by, uh, by river thames oh they would have to oh. literally lift everything out of the marquee and move it oh, no, up yeah. the up the field God. um so they stayed they slept in the ba- in the in the tent overnight the the band they had uh, came along and they, and they came to the wedding they were they were they actually came to the wedding in the day which i thought was a really nice touch kind of stood at the back and um <laughs> the rain came back and all of the generators went and everything oh, ju- no. like it was just just oh. went bad from from a from an audio point of view mm. however they just did this amazing acoustic set they just saw us oh, they will get on with it did an amazing yeah. acoustic set until the engineer came to fix the the generator and they were they were called the indie killers and and they were absolutely phenomenal. You know what? I, I was looking at the guy, the the lead singer, and he had a guitar, and he had all these tattoos and everything, and he was Welsh. And, uh, you know, he didn't have a beer belly. He had lots of hair, good-looking bloke, all the girls staring at him and everything. And there I am with my camera around my neck and my, my little pop belly and my, my suit that didn't fit me properly and, <laughs> you know, my shoes with half the laces undone, you know, for five foot nothing. Yeah. I felt a little bit inferior, I have to say. But they were brilliant. The Indie Killers, yeah, excellent, excellent band. I I just looked them up on the internet. You can press play on their website. It's all covers. I did see a punk band quite a while back. They were very good, actually. Properly thrashy, properly punk. Uh, mm. But I do remember looking back along the audience. and uh, I mean, the bride and groom loved it. It was their kind of thing. It was a brilliant wedding. Um, but uh, Grandma wasn't so keen on it. Oh, I, I just remembered another story. Um, I did a wedding. I, I was a guest, actually, in fairness. I was a mm. guest. It was a friend of mine, and although I was I was the, the guest with the camera, yeah. and uh, he said to everybody, "No, he's really into his music as well, uh, and he's a very good uh, musician." And he said to everybody, "Yeah, we got um, we got a first dance at eight or whatever. We got we got a band coming, and um, it was um, Catatonia, Caris Matthews. No Catatonia. way! Yeah. Oh. So there, there, there. I am taking some pictures, and uh, and and the the, the kind of fella came up the yeah. security guy and said uh no pictures no pictures please. oh did um, oh what a shame yeah well i still got a few but it was you know it was but interestingly i went backstage well not backstage but into the room they had at the back and um with with my friend and and them and yeah. took some pic you know like pictures of them yeah. together and everything yeah. and uh the rider the rider she had in that room was incredible and uh, like bottles of champagne and food and everything another time when i felt like you know i'm in the wrong job here i should be a female lead singer of a welsh band that'd be good mm. yeah caris matthews she was lovely though she gave, gave me a nice big cuddle did she blimey yeah um, yeah every day when she wakes up she thanks the lord she's welsh <laughs> okay <laughs> right um <laughs> your question oh right back to the back to the Back to the real world. Uh, back to the real world. Uh, okay, this is a good one from uh, Jeff 
Petri. All right. And he says, is camera or lens sharpness overrated with digital photography? Why do so many photographers make such a fuss about it? Well, this all comes down to character, doesn't it, really? Because some people like it to be absolutely super sharp, tack sharp. Everything's going to be every little pixel in place. But other people like it to be a bit more, well, um, f- filmic. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, of course, there's certain certain styles of photography where it's imperative. You know, mm. it's, it just has to be sharp. That's, well, that's I suppose if you're doing product photography... Um, but yeah. high-end portrait work, fashion work, yes, of course. Yeah, of course, it has to be. But um, I see Jeff's point in that, you know, lots of people who perhaps don't need to be making such a fuss about it yeah. do. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you're right. It's character. Well, it's pixel peepers usually, isn't it? Yeah, you know, they're zooming in and uh, yeah. you know, and and 100 and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. and and you have to think, hang on a sec. These all these pictures are going to be squished within an inch of their life into a JPEG, which is yeah. a highly compressed format. Uh, there's a difference. There's a clearly a difference between something that's got character. Um, maybe either motion in the image or uh, it's shot on a lens that doesn't have a very sharp pinch point or something that is just simply missed focus that that's a different thing um and you do often see people who who totally miss focus and then try and pass it off as as art darling as art Art. um i've done it (laughs) (laughs) um that picture of keris matthews was out of focus anyway the um yeah yeah people is character isn't it and it's interesting that i think if you I wonder how many people listening think about this when they first started, you know, getting into if they if they were late in life to photography. Yeah. How many of them kind of when they started researching cameras and lenses and everything were were obsessed by the the reviews and everything about the sharpness, you know, and uh, I remember one of the main complaints about the X100, the original X100 was that it wasn't pin sharp at f2. Mm. Uh, and it wasn't, and neither was the X100S or the T or the F, because they all use the same lens. They never changed the lenses. No, no. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when the when the X100V came along, which has a new pin-sharp lens, uh, they, they were even thinking about, as far as I remember, putting some kind of option in the menu to, yeah. uh, you know, that, that maybe they would call it character, to, to make it not so digital. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's, it's, you know, it's horses for courses. Yeah. You've got, you've got, you've got to get it right in the, in the, uh, in the image that you want, but yeah. character plays a big part. Right. Christoph, I think we've got time for one more before the interview. Christoph Modot. Um, hello, Kev. Hello, Neil. Um, great last two episodes with Andreas. His passion for Fujifilm cameras is contagious. I'm a, an Olympus user. My EM5 weather seal, uh, sealed, my EM5 weather sealed is great for landscape, macro and wildlife photography. Yes, that's right. Here in the uh, Quebec region. But I struggle a little for low light indoor portraits. I'm also in a, a sort of bokeh d- addiction period and uh, can't get what I want with my 45mm 1.8, which is 90mm equivalent. So I thought maybe buy a used full-frame version like a Canon 5D Mark III or a Nikon uh, D610 with a 50mm, or I could also buy for the same price a Micro Four Third lens with a 1.2 or 0.95 aperture and get somehow a similar result. But maybe there's also an in-between solution with Fujifilm in the used market for six to eight hundred pounds or so. Or should I just deal with my my gear acquisition syndrome? Or you could go to mpb.com. Oh, I'm on the wrong program to be <laughs> promoting that. <laughs> but you could. <laughs> he could. Uh, I sold all my stuff through MPB. Um, Should we start doing an advert? MPB.com. <laughs> Bing bong. Okay, so, well, 
the Fujifilm camera is irrelevant to the uh, to the lens, yeah, yeah. to the lens, yeah, no, to, to what you're trying to achieve here. Yeah. It's 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 all down to the lens, really. If you're uh, if you want the bokeh, and you have to look at uh, like recently the the F1 50 50 mil F1 is basically as bokeh as you're going to get. Um, How much you is can that? get 0.95 aperture lenses, third party ones um, that fix the X mount. Right. Six to eight hundred pounds. If you're looking at a camera and a lens, you're going to be hard pushed to do that. You would yeah. get a second-hand X Pro Two, X Pro One, X E Three. Any of the the cameras that depends on what you're shooting, of course. If you're, you know, if you if you're doing portraits or whatever, then it doesn't really matter what the the camera is. To be yeah. honest with you, yeah. if you don't need speed or low light or all that stuff. So the camera, yeah, you can get a cheap second-hand camera. But I would be tempted to point you towards the 60 mil 2.4 macro lens. Yeah. Um, no, 2.4 doesn't sound like it's it's got the deep bouquet that um, that you want, but it has a creamy bouquet. <laughs> don't do that, Kev. <laughs> it's not late at night. Oh, do you I've want got, me to do yeah, that with ASMR? Uh, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. Creamy bouquet. Oh my lord! <laughs> oh, you got bouquet. Very excited with that one. Uh, yeah. So the 60 mil 2.4, which I, you've got my one. I'm sure of it. Yeah. There it is. There it is. That's that's a good option because I think you'll get that quite cheap secondhand at least. You're never getting uh, this back from me. I love this lens. It is a very nice lens. I mean, you can you can reverse vasectomies quicker than that focuses, but it's a beautiful lens. <laughs> what, Kev? <laughs> <laughs> I have to remember that one. <laughs> oh dear. Would you like him to repeat that one? How about no? Oh, all right, no, maybe not then. Okay, right. Time for our. <laughs> Well, we, it seems an inappropriate way now to in, introduce this uh, amazing guest of yours, Kev. You started. Oh, right? yeah, that was bad timing. <laughs> so, tell, tell us a bit about our guest today. Okay, so Daniel Daniel Meadows is, uh, like I said at the, at the top of the show, is a, uh, well, I think, a wonderful documentary photographer. And he's got such a great story. And we just we just got together and had a chat. He's, we originally got in touch because he was originally asking me whether there was such a camera that basically just had a shutter button and the and aperture triangle. That's how the conversation started. And, uh, and then we, we got chatting. Well, this is part one of two parts. Hello, Daniel. Welcome. How are how Hi. are you in these How are you in these days? These pandemic well, days. Well, it's it's this lockdown tedium. Um, so yeah, it's a delight to be kind of released from the prison of um, yeah of this uh, pandemic for a moment to be um, to be engaged in lively conversation with you, Kevin. <laughs> Thank you so much. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Where Where are you actually living at the moment? What, what part? Uh, of well, I live in Wales. I live in in Monmouth. Um, uh, and I have lived here for more than half my life. We came in uh, 1983. Like I said, for those that, that don't know Daniel, he has an incredible body of work. And uh, we will talk about more of that. But I think if you if you let us know how it all started, I think uh, Manchester Polytechnic with the, with the yes, likes indeed. of Martin. Yeah, no, I, um, I went to Manchester Polytechnic in 1970 to uh, study photography. Um, the Poly was a, 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 nice, a good place, actually. Looking back, you know, we were really lucky. Uh, we're lucky for several reasons. I think the first thing was that um, we were a kind of mismatched bunch of people, most of whom had been rejected by other colleges. <laughs> so Manchester hadn't been our first choice. But so we were blessed because we had, you know, like I was there with um, 
with uh, Brian Griffin, with Peter Fraser and Charlie Meacham, Kate Meller, Martin Parr, of course, was there in the same year as me. And uh, yeah, we had so we had uh, you know a good bunch of people I'd stayed in touch with uh, for the rest of my life, and um, so it was very inspiring being around other uh, ambitious photographers and uh, sharing our our learning together. That was fabulous. The other thing that was really good about Manchester was that it was um, they were still trying to invent how to teach photography, and so we could kind of sneak in through the gaps, you know. Um, uh, the, the, there was only, I think, at that stage, one three-year degree program, which was pretty theory-driven, which was out of Regent Street Poly. I think most of the other courses were college diplomas or, you know, latched onto the old DIP-AD. Uh, and um, we were the first uh, students into Manchester Polytechnic. It was it had it only been created that year, 1970. So you had teachers who came from. It was a, an amalgamation of, of sort of scientific photography. There were teachers who came from um, the old tech colleges. People like the wonderful Dr. George Wakefield used to have a column in um, in Amateur Photographer talking about all the technical things, and he was like an like God. He was like sort of carved in stone, um, a wonderful old, who, I don't know, I mean, he seemed like an incredibly old man to us, like sort of biblical in his, uh, in his ways, but completely, for me as an 18 year old, completely impenetrable, you know, talking about, um, I don't know, what lumens and um, the characteristic curves of emulsions and stuff. It was like um, being allowed into some weird catechism. Um, so you had people like him, and then on the other hand, you had um, more creative people, uh, people who, who who were brought in because they of, of, of their uh, you know kind of um, artistic take on photography. So um, oh, the, there was a wonderful man called John Fisher who who was a specialist in photograms, um, you know, making photographs just by putting objects on um, on photographic paper and exposing them to light. Um, uh, and then Jack Tate was the, the head of school and, um, and he was very sort of lenient and tolerant. And, and if you wanted to do something, he would find a way of helping you do it. And um, so, yeah, we had a lot of freedom. I don't remember um, us it being academically very rigorous. There was practically no teaching on um, contemporary photographic practice. But there was a lot of enthusiasm and um, we kind of filled the gaps ourselves um, because that enthusiasm was something that we shared with the people who were teaching us. Yeah. And, and was it was it around about that time or towards the end of the of the course that the um, that you, you, you went to the barber shop and, and, and did the, the, the pop up pictures, if you like, as we yeah, call them? Yeah. No, I uh, well, as a, a student, I was living in Moss Side because it was cheap. Um, and Moss Side was a, 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 a mixed community, mainly uh, um, immigrants of different from different generations. So there were a lot of Irish from a, a previous a previous generation living there. A lot of people of um, African Caribbean origin, um, well established, owning their own properties. And there was also um, a, a newer influx of people from um, South Asia, uh, India, and Pakistan. Um, and uh, so a wonderful, uh, a lively place to be. Um, but it was being regenerated, uh, completely demolished. They just were flattening the whole of Moss Side um, at that time. And um, 
I was, you know, young and I wanted to respond to it. I mean, I was ever only interested really in kind of social documentary practice photography that, uh, you know, worked in a way that was to do with working with people rather than doing media to them. And, um, and I wouldn't have had the skills to do a sort of photojournalistic essay about it at that time. But I did, um, one of my tutors, um, yes, the photogram man, John Fisher, he showed me um, Irving Penn's Worlds in a Small Room, the book. Uh, in fact, the book wasn't published till 74, in fact, so it must have been in a magazine article or something, because this was 1972. And, um, and I thought I could make a small room, because I discovered that you could rent properties that were about to be demolished for almost nothing, very little money. And, uh, you know, and we had, we had, uh, we, you know, our tuition fees were paid for by the state and everything at that time. Um, and so, you know, if you didn't buy too many records or drink too much beer, you could save a few bob. And I, and I spent that on, um, on renting a little barber shop and I opened it as a free studio and invited people in to have their pictures taken for nothing. And I, I, I mean, it, uh, it ran for about eight weeks uh, and then, you know, mostly just on Saturdays. Um, I did have a little dark room there for a while and I tried to show local kids how photographs were made and so on. Um, but that's a project that's lived with me. You know, I was 19, 20. Uh, 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 I was born in 1952, so 72. Yes, I was just 20. Um, and uh, that's a project that continues to live in my life and that just this week I did a, um, uh, I recorded an interview with somebody who appeared in one of those photographs when he was 14, a 14 year old lad, who of course is now, um, you know, in his sixties. Uh, and uh, we had a, you know, in this, in this pandemic times, you're doing a very, you're doing a, a Zoom interview with me, which is a nice way of doing it. Um, I did a more slightly more old fashioned thing in that I, I posted him a, um, an audio recorder and then interviewed him over the phone. And then, but I meant I got quite good quality audio out of it because he was speaking closely into a good microphone. And um, yeah, so that project's lived with me all, all my time, you know, um, uh, those, those pictures, it was such a, um, a, a love of that community, a, an incredible, um, uh, anger about the way it was demolished, how many people were pushed out of the housing market, had to go back to renting uh, from owning, um, were, were pushed into flats and so on, given bad housing. Um, so that there's, a, there's a, a wonderful connection with that community through that body of work and people want to articulate that. So I've had the pictures on my website for, I don't know, a decade or more. And every now and again, I get an email or a some kind of a message, Facebook message or something from someone says, oh, that's me in one of your pictures. And, uh, and uh, from time to time, people are keen to be interviewed and talk about it. Yes. That's, uh, yeah, that, that's wonderful. That, that, that was the thought that just went through my mind about that 14-year-old. How did, did he contact you? Did he say, hey, I'm in your pictures? Yes. Uh, brilliant. That's amazing, isn't it? And uh, presumably at the time you weren't kind of, uh, you know, nowadays it's all about release and model release and you know taking people's names and everything but i guess in those days that wasn't such a thing so you're relying no, on come to you no, i mean yeah i yes it um i never did do model releases no i and i didn't even take people's names uh, a lot of the time um and if i did the pieces of paper would have got lost but of course you've still got the negatives you've got the contact sheets and uh yes when 
the, the wonderful thing about the internet, of course, is that it's relatively easy for people to find you if they want to communicate something with you. And mostly um, uh, people are just enchanted that those photographs exist, really. That's, um, that's the, main, yeah. the main feeling I get from that body of work. Yeah. Now that uh, I always encourage people to, when they're researching photographers, to to just pop their name into Google and, and go straight to the Google Images tab. And that, that gives you a broad overview of, uh, of some of the more iconic pictures, perhaps. But one of the uh, the third picture that comes up is of you outside the, what became the photo bus, I presume. Um, free pictures on this, uh, this uh, I think, red double-decker bus. Oh, it's a black and white picture, but uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful picture of you with your camera. Um, so I guess this was an extension of that, that, that time. You, you just went on the road. Yeah, Kevin, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the shop worked beautifully for me because, I mean, we were kind of, I wouldn't say we were hippies, but we were into that sort of alternative, or I was certainly into that, you know, like we were rejecting the way our parents' generation did things. It was, you know, the end of the 60s, beginning of the 70s. And and uh, the, we were all looking for alternative ways of doing just about everything. Uh, and I wanted to do, do try and do something, uh, you know, a portrait of Britain, but but not in the way that, you know, um, it might have been done by, I don't know, people from the older generation, you know, the, um, the, the Lord Snowdens and the Litchfields and the Cecil Beatons. Um, I, I, I was, uh, so yes, the shop worked absolutely beautifully because people came to me. In other words, people were offering their picture to my camera, but they were also chatty. And you had more than one occasion, one chance to meet somebody. You know, they came to be photographed or often they came to find out when they could be photographed and then they would be photographed and at another time having, you know, got into the clothes or whatever it is they wanted to wear to be photographed or in the company of whoever it was they wanted to be photographed with. And then they'd come back and collect the image, uh, you know, a week later or whatever. And so you'd have three chances to chat to people. And I've always um, tried to do audio recordings. And the first audio recordings I did do were in that shop. And then, but then I thought, this is just so brilliant. It's such a wonderful way of being able to work with people. And um, uh, also you could put the pictures in the window of the shop. So when you weren't there, there was a sort of mini exhibition for people to look at. So I just thought, let's try and put this on wheels. And I spent the whole of the last, my last year at, at art school trying to raise money. I mean, nowadays you'd call it a Kickstarter or, or you know, um, uh, um, crowdfunding, yeah, crowdfunding. Um, but then I just went up to the Central Reference Library after college every evening and I wrote, I made a point of writing 10 letters a day, you know, cross-referencing Kelly's directory of industry and the directory of directors and whatever other reference books I could find. I mean, it's a little before the internet, of course. Um, and anybody who seemed to be uh, in a position of power who also had um, money and an interest in um, uh, the arts, I would write them a, a letter. And I used to write a longhand letter and had a little brochure printed, which I paid for having worked at Butlins all one summer. And, um, uh, and yeah, I'd send 10 letters a day. And I, had got, I got into this sort of rhythm of 10 letters a day because um, you always got something back out of 10. You know, one would give you either, well, not often money, but often... Um, um, supporting kind of some, you know, like Calagas gave me free 
uh, heating and, um, and and gas for my cooker on the bus and um, Sun Alliance Insurance gave me free insurance and uh, I did get money as well. But um, yes, uh, so, yeah, so I spent a whole best part of a year trying to raise the dosh to, to do the bus project and I never really ever got as much money as I wanted. So you know the the, the bus I bought was a nineteen forty eight. Low bridge decker, they called them, because it was uh, thirteen foot six high. It was a, it was a beautiful thing built uh, by um, with duple coachwork, so it had a, a sort of coach feel to it. It was very old. It was extremely grumpy, and I had no mechanical knowledge or skills at all. So you can imagine, our first six months was quite a trying relationship. Me living on this bus, yeah. But I did all the conversion work myself. Well, um, repurposing would be a better way of saying it than conversion. I, <laughs> there were so I was able to put, put up some um, partitions and build some benches and take the seats out. And I put a dark room in, and um, yeah, and I made all the pictures. Uh, sort of double double panel uh, sort of panels that you could put into the windows behind the glass where you could put pictures up so there was always an exhibition for people to look at yeah and then I um, in September 1973 I set off around the country and stayed on the road for 14 months um, yeah visiting different parts of the country uh, uh, I had some regional sponsorship through the regional arts associations I had some I got two awards from the Arts Council of Great Britain all of them very small but um, you know enough to keep me going and um, yeah I had this great adventure going around uh, shoot I went to 22 different towns and cities I ran a free studio in each one sometimes it just rained and no one turned up or <laughs> Uh, you know, um, but then there were magical days like in Southampton and Hartlepool, Barrow in Furness, towns where I don't know, maybe it was a bright, brighter day, it was drier, there were more people out, maybe it was market day. Yeah. Um, you know, um, it was it was full of the whole point of it was to do with, you know, capturing serendipity. Yeah. And was it just you? Was it just you? Just me. Yeah, uh, just me on the bus. And uh and then, of course, the other part of running both the shop and the bus was that people would ask you from time to come and to come and do something away from the bus. So, you know, the the body of work that people perhaps recognise from me are the portraits that I did on the double decker bus. But there's also quite a lot of picture journalism, or anyway, documentary reportage of of things going on around the country. I don't know, strike meetings, road protests. Um, and just going with people to where they were working or where they were living and, and spending some time just wandering about with people and, and catching up on strain, you know, like, um, I don't know, uh, people would say, oh, there's this, you must come and meet so-and-so, he plays these wonderful bagpipes or whatever, you know, and, you, and you'd get to meet all, all the people that, you know, I, I didn't research anything. I didn't, I, you know, in the way that you would research if you were doing a set of pictures for National Geographic about Britain or something. Um, no, I just let people tell me what they wanted me to photograph. It must have been a great experience. It's something, you know, that, that that's kind of like a focal point of life, isn't it? When you look back over your life, what one looks over their life and they, they think of these periods of times, that must have been just incredible, absolutely incredible. It was. Uh, it was also what's lovely about both those projects is that they both followed me through the rest of my life and that I've stayed in touch with a lot of people that I photographed. And uh, in the 90s, I did a sort of like 25 years afterwards, I revisited um, people from the 70s uh, who were obviously had then grown up. Uh, a lot of 
because a lot of the people who came to be photographed were teenagers, you know. Um, it, people didn't have cameras in the 70s. And if they did, it was dad who had it, you know, and he took it out with on the summer holiday or to a wedding or to some special event. And it was, you know, a camera that stayed in a drawer in the kitchen or in a cupboard in an office or, you know, or a bedroom or, you know, somewhere where, you know, the kids didn't get to play with it and the teenagers weren't photographed. And so, you know, teenagers being in the 70s, you know, they were mad about their haircuts and their fashion and so on. And they wanted to be photographed. And, um, yeah, so it, I've, it, you know, it was, a, it was an interesting time in history mm. in that it predated the, the coming of the mobile phone and the popularity of, of um, you know, uh, everybody being able to take pictures all the time. It predated the selfie and all of that. Well, <laughs> but it came after a time when people were at least aware uh, that you could be photographed and that having a photograph was uh, you know, a valuable thing to have on you. Yeah, no, that th that reminds me when you said that about um, uh, one of the, the the wonderful videos you've got on Vimeo, and and the one I'm thinking of is uh, I think it's called Eight Stories, and there's a quote at the beginning, and, and it says it says something along the lines of at the time the camera was an interesting thing to people, whereas now everybody has one. Um, but if you were being photographed, you knew you thought, oh well, I must be an interesting person then. Yeah, that's a lovely quote, isn't it? It's by a, a woman called Shireen Shah, who was a fellow student at the Poly, um, who was a sociologist. And she was doing a study about um, uh, how local authorities were uh, providing um, proper accommodation for gypsies and their caravans, gypsies and travellers and their caravans and trailers and so on. Mm. And together we did a little project about um, a group of gypsies in um, Stockport. And then years later, I mean, she um, grew up actually to become an actress and um, she had a career, quite a good one as an actress. And she now lives in New Zealand. But on a, on a recent trip back to the UK, I sat her down in front of an audio recorder and, um, and we looked at the pictures again. And that, that comment came out of looking at those pictures. And uh, yeah, she's a very wise grown up person. Yeah, it's a wonderful quote. And, and I suppose it, it's that kind of thing now, isn't it, that people struggle with these days. Uh, people seem to, to not want their photo taken, really, because, you know, all kinds of reasons, vanity, ego, uh, the fact that there's so many cameras about, everybody's taking pictures of people. And that's, that's the complete antithesis of, of how it was and how perhaps it should be. Yeah, it is like a, a completely different time, a completely different time altogether that I was, work, you know, doing all that work. Yeah. It's like, uh, uh, it's more, it's closer to the Victorian era than it is to the modern era. Uh, thanks to Daniel Meadows for this week. And he returns, of course, uh, for part two next week. And if you like your interviews and inspiration, then after today's Fujicast, head on to Photography Daily, where today British editorial photographer Alex Ingram, who is reasonably new-ish in terms of time spent earning a pound or three from this craft, talks about um, your fantastic personal projects and how they can each be a real turning point, uh, the catalyst, the start of, of things much, much bigger and the launch of a career making pictures. Then on Wednesday, from New York, Scott Goldsmith, with a, a lifetime behind the lens, shares his story, but... Well, slight spoiler, the, the tail end of the piece where I, I ask 
why he still does this, which is a regular kind of question, really, reveals something that's left me thinking constantly about what he said every single day, honestly, since I recorded the interview two to uh, three weeks ago. Uh, anyway, photographydaily.show, it's on the web, or it's all over your favourite podcast app, Stories of Life Told by Photographers. Next week, as I say, Daniel Meadows returns here, and in a couple of weeks' time, just as I may have confused you at the start, Jane O'Dell is here, Fujifilm photographer, landscape shooter, tide watcher, and now she lives out at, uh, at uh, Newmarket. And um, she, she sort of, she's now really a, a recognised uh, figure in the equine um, circuit there. And, and it all Don't came. Talk to me about horses. Oh, sorry, I forgot. <laughs> yeah. How's your horse doing there? Oh, she sounds perfect. <laughs> Have you? <laughs> no wonder you got her so cheap. <laughs> no, we haven't got it yet. Oh, you haven't got it yet. Uh, are you looking forward to it? You did send me a, 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 to be fair, you sent me a picture of, um, on the coldest day of the year so far, you sent me a picture of your paddock and I was thinking, oh, rather you than me that day. <laughs> no, I am. I am looking forward to it. I mean, it will be expensive. I mean, Rosa Gemma's rid horses all her life, rid, rode horses all her life. So Rosa's turn and she's, she's, yeah. she's really into it. So yeah, I am just for the, uh, you know, for them really. And I think that I'll go and, you know, I'll go and, pat it on the nose or whatever and sit in the car and watch them through the window <laughs> do you think you might take up uh, riding at all i did it once i went on a riding holiday did you oh yeah i got cramp in my bum oh yeah i think i've got my stirrups on the wrong way or something don't know well, maybe you're not supposed to be sitting on the stirrups <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know i, I i'm it not makes, sure they'll get it, a horse that will be able to it makes me taller if i sit on these metal things careful now i know i think it's fantastic that she's so into it which is lovely isn't it yeah absolutely absolutely yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no well, it's, it's very exciting for the whole family it is the trouble with kids that get into stuff like that i mean uh i mean tom our thomas with his railways yeah you with your horse jack jack's yeah. just our jack's just got into um fl- flight simulator i'm a little bit worried about that because airplanes are quite expensive Oh yeah, well he's that's because he's been talking to Albie ah, on the internet. Is that why? Okay. Now Albie's like, I want controllers, and we've got him a steering wheel, and then we got throttles and yeah. things and stuff. Right. Well, he he, he started. Um, uh, he said to me, "What aeroplane should I fly first, Dad?" And I said, "Well, you know, if I was you, I'd start on something like a little Cessna, get used to it." Um, so he started on an a- a- Airbus um, A380, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then couldn't work out why he was steering off the runway all the time, getting very annoyed with me. <laughs> Although I spotted it, I said, "Well, the trouble is here, son. I'm—I mean, I'm no expert, but if you put full throttle, if you put full thrust on the uh, two starboard engines, you're bound to go the other way, aren't you, my darling? <laughs> Towards Heathrow." <laughs> I was lead support for Microsoft Flight Sim back in the I know back you in were, 1995. Yeah. Well, I told him this. I told him. Yeah. I said, "If you've got any problems, you phone Mullins." And he said, "Well, why?" And I said that you. Well, I, I told him a little lie. Actually, I said you designed it. <laughs> yeah that is a big lie <laughs> i said yeah. anything kev does not know about that program just is not worth knowing you ring him up because he designed it i did however write part of the manual for flight sim 95 did you there you go yeah oh, i was part of the the manual writing team <laughs> so if you're ever on an aircraft and somebody says um does it uh, our, our captain and co-pilot funnily enough have just uh, all taken sick can anybody fly the aircraft would you and albs get up the front there and just do a sterling job yeah easy yeah ailerons ils i could fly ils with my eyes closed no problems 
Okay. Yeah. What All you that? have to do is press the full. You've got to remember to press the full stop key when you land, though. Otherwise, the brakes don't go on. <laughs> well, and it's as easy as that, ladies and gentlemen. Not a problem at all. Right. Questions. Shall I go? Because you've got your book review in a second. Yes. So yes. Uh, this one is from longtime friend of the show, Anna McCarthy. Uh, dear Kevin and Neil. That's very formal to start with, isn't it? Yes. Uh, greetings on this snowy lockdown. Well, it might not be so snowy now, of course. We had snow for one day. Poor Thomas. He thought he was going to have a snow day. And he was rather counting on not having it because he can go to school because we have a, a key worker, ladies and gentlemen, a key worker in, in our house. And uh, which means he's allowed a, a school place. And uh, but he was devastated. He couldn't he, because there were the snow arrived and it thawed within like an hour. Yeah. Some some of the my friend Mark, he listens to the podcast. He's uh, up in Scotland. He lives in right in the middle of nowhere. He's, really? He runs a um, a farm up there. He's making a distillery as well. A nice guy. Anyway, he sent me pictures of like 15 feet snow drifts and his little wow. boys, yeah. um, his little kids playing in it. And oh, I was showing him to Albie. Albie was not impressed. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, a question about definitions. Ooh. And this is specifically about what to name those things uh, that we give to our wedding and family clients on top of their set of still images so that, they're, that we're clear about what they're getting. Okay, so here we go. She's laid it out. Mm. There is something called a slideshow, which in its original form is something my dad used to sit us down to in the late 70s. as a sort of kind of like a family event with his slide projector and screen at the ready usually a glitch of some sort, and everybody yawning and sighing while he said, wait a minute, wait a minute, almost ready. So back to the definitions. I've laid it out for you. Slideshows, a reel of stills. Slideshows with an accompaniment of music designed up to the emotional tempo of our pictures so that couples reach out for their hankies with overwhelmed joy. Slideshows with stills, music, and real audio footage, like the vows, speeches, family chatter. And finally, there are slideshows with stills, music, real audio footage and video film footage. So here's the question. When is a slideshow just a slideshow? And when do we get to call it a photo film? <sighs> Given that technically that word doesn't really make any logical sense if there's no film footage in it. Very good point. Back to the drawing board. Or perhaps you think this is just not something folks care about. And photo film is as good as any word to describe all those things to our clients, whatever they have on them. So, in other words, I, I breaking this down then is a, is if you have a, just a, a load of stills and um, I don't know, Christopher Lady in Red with a load of slushy um, pictures coming round, is that a slideshow or is it a photo film? Well, I would like to draw the good lady's attention to the latest Apple. Um, adverts on TV, right. which are which I think are wonderful, by the way. Okay. Uh, the adverts, that is, and they are simply <laughs> black and white pictures of the old Apple design teams. You've got Steve Wozniak, yeah. Steve Jobs, yeah. and all the other boys and girls that are involved, yeah. uh, with some beautiful music, and then you just get the logo at the end. Yeah. And uh, you know, if there's anything that's going to bring me, make me buy an Apple um, device, it's that, and that doesn't have any moving footage. No. But it's still a film, isn't it? Because it's an advert. It's it's still a film. Um, well, a film, a film. I think it's I semantics, was, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I always think of a film as kind of an, a narrative. Actually, that's what I yeah. think of as a film. Something that has a narrative. Generally, it's going to move from position one to position two over not just a second or two. It's it's going to be a a journey that you make, and that that's how I think of as a film. So that could be still images. Mm. It can sometimes be complete blackout, 
um, with, with just the odd thing coming up here. I've seen, seen some extraordinary uh, arty films that are practically blackout and they're really just audio, but they're still films. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, 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 I agree with Anna in, in respect of, you know, a slideshow. You know, what we, what I produce generally for my clients is music with pictures, yeah, which is a slideshow for yeah. all intents and purposes. Yeah. Um, but I think that's got very 70s connotations to it, hasn't it? She, she alluded to that with her dad. And, uh, you know, slideshow, I prefer to use the film the word photo film, even though I think what you produce with your mellifluous voice and, and the, <laughs> the, the clips of audio from the... Uh, from the speeches and everything is far more artistic and, and far more worthy of the name photo film. I don't care. I still call mine photo films. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not a photo film. She did actually say here, please don't fall out or get into a fight on my account. But <laughs> <laughs> she did say to me, do you think it would be worth asking this question? And I, oh, hang on. Asked, and you, I said, yeah, send it in. It'd did you great. know it was coming in? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Set up. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's good. It's it's a really interesting conversation, though. Hang isn't on it? a minute. Because it's a I setup. Think... It's a setup. Warning. I Warning. No, I feel like that. Uh, um, yeah. I well, I, I think of a photo film. I suppose I think of a film as as something that that uh, that gives you a, an experience. It's a it's a journeying a journeyman, a journeying experience between point A and point B. And so, therefore, your slideshow is still a film, Kev, to be fair. Well, yeah, perhaps, but yours are better, more than likely. Um, <laughs> however... Hang on know, a minute. The- Did Kev just say I've, I had something that was better than his? Oh, oh savour that one. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Your slideshows are much better than my photo films. But the... <laughs> <laughs> if you if you think back to the interview we just did with Daniel and yeah. and his says uh, we spoke a lot about his photobus website and uh, and his the productions the multimedia productions that he's been creating for years and years and years yeah. uh, and they you know back in the day that he was creating those I suppose they would be called multimedia uh, you know multimedia it's yeah. Sales oh. and music and multi stuff. I don't like that. Um, word, though. I don't, and that, I that word, that. multimedia, yeah. you, nobody ever uses that oh, anymore. But no, in, no, in no. the day, that was that was like, whoa, my lord, that's like super high tech. Um, but his his things on there are are beautiful, and not all of them are have moving moving in the traditional sense, like movies, film moving people moving their arms and stuff. <laughs> uh, a lot of it is. I can't quite get the <laughs> words out. Um, but but you know they, they, he has narrated some of them and he has uh, got other people narrating parts of it and there's there's um, animations that he's done and everything so yeah I suppose it's far more in depth I was talking earlier to funny enough to Sean Tucker uh, who makes all those lovely lovely films um, and he was uh, suggesting somebody called Adam Curtis um, who's on BBC iPlayer I think he said it was can't get you out of my head which is which is I don't I don't think Adam appears in the, the film at all. But but it's films basically using lots of uh, well, very very intriguing use of B roll. So there can be old dances that can be from the fifties or the forties, um, and, and a sort of narrative on top. And again, I mean that's I suppose that's because because it's it's moving image is a film, but it's different ways of using different kind of media, isn't it? it doesn't, yeah, yeah, I'm just looking at that now on on iPlayer. Uh, An emotional history of the modern world by Adam Curtis. That's Love, right. power, yeah. money, ghosts yeah. of empire, conspiracies, yeah. artificial intelligence. And you. Oh, sounds heavy. That sounds good. I'm going to watch that. Yeah. I think there's six, five or six episodes, I think. And Mm. then I found something earlier, which I I sent you this, but you didn't really have a chance to look at it before I rang you on Skype today. But um, the the website is takeapicturetellastory.com, all one word. 
takeapicturetellastory.com. And the reason I've got to um, this particular chap is an American photographer called Rob, Robert Gumpert, G-U-M-P-E-R-T, um, is because I've been speaking to a photographer in this country called Adam Aitchison. And um, Adam is the photographer that was wrongfully arrested for making pictures outside an asylum centre. Mm. And um, because he was a photographer, I think he was seen as a bit of a troublemaker. It was a really, really interesting story. But one of the, thing, one of the things that Adam had shot, he'd made this be- um, amazing series of, of, um, of prisons being behind bars in this country. Really interesting stuff. And anyway, we were talking about his other work, and he said, well, have you seen Robert Gumpert stuff? And this, is, and this does make sense with the multimedia thing that we're talking about. Because um, for years and years, Robert Gumpert in America has been making these outstanding black and white portraits behind bars in the maximum, well, not just maximum security, but prisons in America. But every time that he's um, made a picture of somebody, he has also recorded just a minute of them talking about themselves, such as... My first time coming to jail, it's been stressful. It's it's nothing like you would ever imagine. Which I think is a really interesting way, Kev, to um, to, to make a. I mean, that's a that's a. If you put those together, that would be a photo film because you've got their, you've got them talking, haven't you? And you've. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, that that looks amazing. I'm looking at the website now. Um, but yes, I it's. Oof, there's lots of different very talented people out there, isn't there, that do different yeah, things. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, multimedia, photo film. Yeah. Slideshow. <laughs> I, I, I don't. I don't know whether we actually got an Apple adverts. I don't know whether we actually got an answer for Anna there, but we didn't disagree too much, though, Kev, did we? Really? No, 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 no. And actually, those Apple adverts, though, I think are beautiful. You can watch them. Look them up on YouTube. Yeah, they're they're, they're wonderful. I love all those black and white. They did steal the advert off Microsoft though, because the old Microsoft oh, I, adverts I, from I, two years ago I were knew, the black and white pictures. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Allen and Bill Gates <laughs> asleep on the table drinking coke. <laughs> Ah. <laughs> right, book of the week. What do we have, Kev? Right, so this book is not released yet. It's available in March. So uh, if you do pre-order it, you will be guaranteed a first edition, which is always good. Yeah. Uh, we were sent this. Uh, it's not something I bought. Uh, it's called Woman Street Photographers. Yeah. Now, I think they've taken the... They've taken the SEO approach to titling this book. So when you search for women street photographers, you're going to find it. It's not. Uh, there's no. Um, there's no kind of fancy name to this book. It. It says. Does what's in the inside. Yeah. So the book itself. It's a lovely book actually. It's. It's a nice big square hardback. Listen to this. <laughs> you just killed something. <laughs> That's me putting it on the table, uh, which indicates. It's size. It's nice. Yeah. Um, it's really, actually, I, I have to admit, when they sent it through, I looked through a lot of the names and I recognized maybe, I don't know, 10. So there's 100 yeah. ph- uh, photographers in here. Wow. Uh, I'll, read, I'll read the little blurb off the back. A rising generation of women is challenging the historical dominance of street photography by men. This book is a celebration of 100 contemporary women photographers, both professional and amateur, who are capturing the world as they see it. Curated by the visual connections between pictures, the images are variously joyful, intriguing and unexpected, offering a kaleidoscopic view of what happens when women across the world are behind the camera. I like that word, kaleidoscopic. Uh, And it really is interesting. You know, I'm not a uh, I'm not a kind of massive fan of kind of segregating different sexes and genres and races and religions and all that kind of stuff. but I have to say that the the thing about this book is it's really introduced me to a lot of new names that mm. 
just didn't know exist. And they're, they're brilliant, every single one of them. So that the, the book is laid out very simply, 100 pictures. You've got the name of the uh, the author of the, the picture. Yeah. Uh, also, that's what they say in um, judging photography, judging competitions. They call them authors. Oh, right. uh, you and I probably call them photographers. Um, so they have uh, all 100 of them, and there's a little bit of uh, a blurb from the photographer about the picture. And then a uh, a small kind of um, bio of the of the photographer as well. So I'm randomly going to pick. I'm just going to open it up. Boom, page seventy. Now a lot of these photographers are uh, foreign, um, okay, and I mean so, kind of so, uh, names that I'm almost definitely going to get wrong. So, That's what I mean so, by that. So stop there. Have you picked Olga Karlovac? No. Ah, oh, that would have been really spooky then. I've picked Debriani Das. Ah, oh, that was the next one I was going to say. <laughs> and this is uh, this is Birdman, Kolkata, India, 2017. Okay. And uh, Debriani is a winner of Women's Street Photographers Artist Residency 2020 in NYC. Uh, she's a Kolkata-based street photographer and homemaker. Mm-hmm. Um, wonderful. Uh, and this is an, an amazing picture. Page 75, Deb Achak. And this is beautiful, beautiful picture. And and and, and the good thing about this, it, it you know, it's called street photographers or women's street photographers. A lot of the pictures are not what we would class as, or what some people would say. It's not street photography if it ain't photographed on the street. Well, yeah, this, this one's is... a perfect example of that because it's it's actually half in water and half out. Yeah, this is an underwater shot. Yeah. She's got a uh, she's got a, a dome on her camera here. She's yeah. got it's an amazing picture of uh, kids, yeah. four or five of them swimming towards these these uh, this cluster of rocks, and then you've got another four or five clambering over the rocks. Mm. But the composition of it. It's beautiful. Well, you know, they talk about... Perfect leading uh, line there. Look at Aaron. that. It's amazing. Uh, Deb Achak, it says, Deb, Deb is a street and conceptual photographer. Her street photography captured while swimming off beaches worldwide is rooted in her lifelong fascination mm. with water imagery and beach culture. Mm. Ah, no Linda Wisdom. No, I know Linda. There we go. We've got one. Um, Linda Wisdom. think Linda is... I don't think she lives in uh, possibly Scotland, maybe northwest of England. Uh, Linda is a wonderful photographer. She's on page 86, Ed's Diner at night, Soho, London. Uh, we all know that place, Ed's Diner. It's a very famous part, uh, oh, street. Look at that. Yeah. Sorry, very yeah. famous um, diner in London. Uh, Linda is a self taught professional photographer based in London. There we go. Her street photography focuses mainly on storytelling and the nuances of human nature. Um, Michelle Rick, uh, Sandra Catanario Adorno. She's Brazilian, and that's a uh, Ipanema Beach, of course, uh, kind of uh, probably not a cliche picture of the, of the beach, but you typically see that beach with lots of people and the sun setting and everything. But this is a lovely take on it, very sepia color to it, a very sepia tone. But I don't think it is sepia edited, I think that's the actual light. So, yeah, she says, a thick, ominous mist hung over the beach. And was coloured by the sunset. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's if you want to be in. Oh, that's amazing. That one, page ninety-eight. Zimina Ekagu, Soul of the Ganges, uh, Varasan, Varanasi, India, two thousand nineteen. And you've got a, uh, a cow um, and this lady in the in the river, and the the dimensions of the image make it look like the uh, the cow is kind of going up to this lady and sniffing her, but of course it's not. Um, yeah, lovely. <laughs> clever. There's a lot of, clever. lot of water-based pictures here. Yeah. Nick 
Nikki Gloody, page 99. Uh, Nikki is an award-winning and published street photographer. She uses color to express emotions and the energy that underlies them. So my, what I love about this book, though, is the fact that it's introduced me to so many, yeah. so many... New names. New names, women women photographers that I just didn't uh, know existed. And, amazing. Um, and that's, that tells you a thing, doesn't it? I didn't know they existed. And, you know, I, I kind of... Well, I like to think uh, of you as reasonably well-read when it comes to street photographers. And, and you mentioned a name quite. to you. you. You usually know it. Yeah, quite, exactly. And that's 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 why it's a good thing that you know it's introducing me to these people. Yeah. But there you go, book of the week, women's street photographers, uh, Prestel Press. Okay, um, do you want a question? Yeah, this one is from Adnan Onart. I've been using Fujifilm X Raw Studio to experiment with different simulation settings, dynamic range, and derange priority fields appear graded out. Is uh, or grayed out? Is there a way to change that? Do I need to change some configuration in the camera? Yeah, X-Raw Studio. The question I was looking at on the Facebook group was from Adnan as well, funny enough, different question. Right. I can't remember. I, I suspect that's to do with the different cameras. So some of the cameras have some features that are available in X-Raw Studio, but, and then some of the newer cameras have more, um, you know, for example, clarity and various things like that. So I guess it's something to do with the camera you're using, the age of it, the latest version of X-Raw Studio and the latest versions of the Fujifilm cameras. Yeah allow you to basically do full edits and save the presets into custom settings directly from extra studio as well which is a really nice press a button and it appears on your camera like a little fairies run up the cable brilliant <laughs> do, you, do you have an adnan question then from, from the facebook <laughs> since we're there this is the adnan show two bites two uh, bites of the apple <laughs> So this is a this is um, a question from him again. He says, "How are different dynamic ranges achieved in feature film cameras? What are the trades off?" Right. <laughs> um, I'm not sure whether that means uh, what the dynamic range settings does in the camera, or whether there's different dynamic ranges between different cameras. Uh, I'm not quite sure. So I'm gonna I'm going to assume that it's about the dynamic range setting. Bearing in mind that the question you just asked about Xtraw Studio yeah. also mentioned dynamic range. So in the cameras you have uh, dynamic range options of, of auto, 100%, 200%, 400%. I think. Um, and uh, essentially what you're doing with that is it's telling the camera to adjust the exposure to to try and save the shadows highlights various things like that and the, the percentage thing is a little bit of uh, complicates things a little bit in that it's essentially a multiplication of the exposure so 100% of one is one so 100% is effectively off yeah. technically um so if you're shooting at 400% i think your minimum iso will be 800 and so it will it will affect the iso to try and make sure that it, it keeps the shadows and the, the the details in the shadows and the highlights that i think is what the question is about it's it is one of the questions i get asked the most is about dynamic range in the future film cameras and my advice remember it only affects jpegs uh, so if you're shooting raw you you can just ignore it completely and my my typical advice to people is unless you're doing something with very very highly contrasting areas such as taking a picture of the of the sea with a bright sky above it and the sea's dark then i would just leave it on 100 percent don't put it on auto i used to suggest people put it on auto yeah. in the old older sensor days because it it you know it was it was different then but in the newer sensors where the uh you can bring the iso right down to 160 and the the actual sensors in the cameras are far more well just better then i i typically set it to 100 percent. you've always said to me 100 percent. that's what i've always yeah. done yeah yeah um we've got a comment and a question have we got enough time let me have a quick look at the, the timer here um is it nearly time gentlemen it is nearly time gentlemen please so shall i a, a quick um 
a sort of a mention and, and a question. Peter Evans. Uh, with this is quite. I like the way he's written this though. Peter Evans, with myself only very slowly creeping back online after half a year, pretty much living mostly offline for the sake of mental health. I completely failed to note you had a Patreon thing going, you two. This in spite of you mentioning it on your podcast and the blimp you sent over the major town centres of Britain scattering leaflets to all and sundry. Anyway, I'm happy to support <laughs> you guys for all that you do, especially <laughs> considering how I'm very much missing the Fuji X conferences I was enjoying in Bath. Oh, we did like those, didn't we? Huh? Yeah. yeah. I the they'll, they'll come back. They will. They'll come back. I'm not sure we'll be able to go back in the same hotel after the behaviour of one certain executive last time, Kevin. <laughs> but no comments. Say no names, but it was quite a noisy corridor. And I'm uh, looking um, this year to digging my way deeper into the Fuji community and bringing my own photography and witterings back online. Hope is, uh, is all well with you guys that my modest contribution will make a tasty hipster beer each month. Or help justify yet another photo book purchase to the wife. Uh, all the best, you and yours, Pete. Ah, oh, thank you, Pete. That's very kind of you. And one from Edward Hubbard. Last one of the week. Um, quick question. I had a 128 gigabyte card corrupt. Fortunately, I was able to recover the files, but I am now having trust issues. This isn't a relationship show, I'm afraid. Um, so A, is the card a candidate for reformatting and rehabilitation or B, should I kill it with fire <laughs> tell you what you do you take it down to uh, take it down to the old nag that Kevin now owns and you put it under the horse and the horse can tread on it there we go <laughs> yeah get rid of it never if you no. have a corrupted card yeah. never use it ever again don't, get rid of it. don't trust it have you ever kept a card that, that I mean I don't think I've ever kept a card where where I've had problems with it. Even if even if it's a sort of slight problem, you think no, never again. Don't darken my my doorstep. No, never. Although saying that, I don't think I've ever had a corrupted card. I have to say, never had a corrupted card, Kev. No, not that I can remember. Shh. Touch wood. Yeah, touch wood. Yeah, touch everything. Yeah. Touch oh. my tin of Stella. <laughs> okay. Well, look, that's it for another week. Um, thank you to our, our, our guest this our guest this week, Daniel Meadows, um, and also uh, to you with your questions, of course, that you've been sending in. Uh, if you can send us a question, you can do it two ways. Actually, you can send it. I mean, Kev needs the Facebook ones, don't you, Kev? I do. Come on, otherwise I'm going home. <laughs> you practically are. <laughs> um, so send it. To, how do they do that then, Kev? On the on the Facebook group. Facebook group. We obviously not everybody's in Facebook, but the, the two thousand of you that are in the Facebook group, um, there is a thread that's pinned to the top. It's called "Questions for the Show" thread. Yeah, uh, just fling your question in there, and we will get around to it. That does not mean that you cannot put the questions elsewhere in the podcast in the um, Facebook group, and people can answer it. Yeah. Yes. Or you can send it in the old-fashioned way, which is click at fujicast.co.uk. Um, uh, or a handwritten letter. We haven't had a handwritten letter yet. I don't think we've ever had it. In, in two no. years, a handwritten letter, have we? No. But where do they send The where person do, who sends us a handwritten letter question. Where do they send it to? Bunker Malmesbury. Uh, yeah. Kevin, Bunker Malmesbury. I wonder <laughs> if it would get to you. Do you think if they put Mullins, Bunker Malmesbury, it might stand a chance? It would get to me because I, I post my mat. Ah, oh, there we go. Every time I get a parcel that comes comes through the um, the centre, there's a little smiley face on there that Postman Matt does. Hang on a minute. So, um, 
I, I, I'm not sure this is against the law to, to suggest you should send a letter that's inappropriately um, um, addressed. But if, if somebody were to send, uh, that'd be like a competition. The first one that actually gets to Kev, uh, just a, if it's just addressed to Mullins in Bunker Malmesbury. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're probably a bit busy at the moment delivering PCR tests and various well, things like that. That's true. I, yeah. Well, they do. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, come on. Uh, don't be so miserable. They also they also send out letters of love to people and cards. True. And well, it is Valentine's weekend. Well, it is. Have you got Sam something? Have you? Have you? Oh. Is it this weekend? Just well, it's last weekend now last in weekend. real life, but it's next this week coming in our life. The boy's <laughs> in trouble. No, of course I did. And also, it's on a Sunday, so no nipping up the Tesco's garage or whatever. (laughs) Won't have anything. I'm doing handmade stuff from now on. Anything I can build (laughs) in wood and nail together. Right, music from Blue Wednesday, supporting music from the incredible artlist.io, and we will see you next week. Bye bye, Kev. Bye-bye. The FujiCast is an independent Loading Zone production. Email the show with your questions and words of wisdom to click at fujicast.co.uk. Email any complaints and political nonsense to our wives who will deal with your comments in their own good time and in their own good way.